On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, how much confidence should we be having in all the information we're getting about what's going on with coronavirus when it seems to be changing nonstop and not just changing, but the stuff that the experts are telling us is fact one day is the opposite of that the next day. Uh, To me, it's leading to an awful lot of questions about what you can trust and how much we should be relying on some of the information we've got, and maybe we should just be staying inside and leaving it there. We'll talk about that one. We're also going to be chatting about online, since we're stuck inside, and you're probably using online stuff, and you're probably using video chat services. Well, some of them now, they're saying, ooh, little be a little careful, may not be all that private. We'll explain that. And then Don Robertson will join us and, um, well, we'll be talking about all kinds of stuff from the world of sports, from what the NHL should and shouldn't do to what might've been happening on Monday night, had this all not been going on. We'll be back. Enjoy. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. My intent was to come in on Monday, the first day of the week, Monday evening, and start with something fun and light and a little bit, you know, not heavy. I mean, there's enough heavy. But this afternoon, I saw something move across the news, and I got to tell you, I I was not flustered by this. I was not... Um, caught off guard. Well, maybe a little bit. I was, I was almost enraged by this today. And I got to tell you about it because I, I suspect that there are a lot of you that are feeling the same way about this. We have heard now for days from the people who are tasked with giving us the information in this country to keep us as safe as possible in these times. We have heard for days that not only is it not going to help you if you go out in public wearing a mask, even a homemade mask? You don't have to be wearing one of those 95 masks, the medical ones. We want the medical people to get those. But not only should is it not going to be helpful for you to wear a mask, in case you were thinking that that's kind of a logical, obvious thing. Hey, if I cough and I wear a mask, maybe I keep myself from hurting someone else. Or maybe if someone else has coughed, it'll help a little bit with... No, no. We have been told it is not good to wear a mask. Don't wear a mask. In fact, it's bad for you to wear a mask. It is go- It is potentially harmful. Here is what Dr. Teresa, Teresa Tam, you see her all the time. Here's what she said the other day. What we worry about actually is the potential negative aspects of wearing a mask where people are not protecting their eyes or other aspects of where the virus could enter your body. And that gives you a false sense of confidence. It also increases the touching of your face. If you've got a mask around your face, sometimes you can't help it because you're just touching parts of your face. The other thing is the outside of the mask could be contaminated. Do not wear a mask was the instructions we got. Not, we're not sure if a mask is a good thing. Not, well, you know what, do it if you want, but don't expect that this is necessarily going to save you. Do not wear a mask. Wearing a mask is a bad thing. So what's the news that comes out today? Here's the headline. Tam says there are situations where a homemade mask outside is a good idea. Like, I'm sorry, I I have been trying as we've been going through this thing to give benefits of the doubt to those who are in positions of decision-making and advice, because this is a fast-moving issue. 
But my goodness, it seems as though every piece of information that we have received has turned out to be wrong in time. And I know these people are working hard. And, I, and this is not about the doctors or the nurses or the people on the front lines. Heaven, no, that they are doing miracle work. They are wonderful. It's how are we getting this information that is contrary? And not because the people were saying... We're not sure. We were getting specific instructions that this was bad to do. And now we're being told, oh, wait a second, maybe it's good to do. This is, this is not, I don't think, what we expect. Let me go back and I want to go just give you some examples. And this is not a political thing because it's doctors, it's politicians, it's all kinds of people involved in this thing. And mistakes, oh, yeah, okay, mistakes are going to happen. We go back to January 27th. Our health minister was asked about how can we be assured it's not going to spread here. Here's a quote from Patty Haidu. The risk to Canadians remains low. Our systems continue to work extremely closely together. Okay, I, I think she believed that. I don't, I don't think that was a lie. I think that was what she believed. January 28, when all of China, Taiwan, put a level three travel alert against China saying we shouldn't let people in. Here's what was said. I'm concerned about the growing number of reports and racism and stigmatizing comments on social media directed to people of Chinese and Asian descent. She goes on about racism. Look, it was not about Chinese people. It was do we want people coming into this country who are coming from China, no matter what race they are? whether they're Caucasian or African-American or indigenous, it doesn't matter. The plane is coming from China and that's where the hotspot is. And somehow our position or the position that was taken by the person in charge was, no, no, this is a virtue signaling moment. This is when we have to talk about racism, not about the health of it. That was a wrong answer. I'm sorry. That was a wrong answer. That we should have been worried not about hurting somebody's feelings, but about health. Back in January 29, the Prime Minister was asked what we're doing about flights coming in and out. Here's a quote. We're taking all necessary precautions to prevent the spread of infection. Preventative measures are in place in airports in Toronto, Vancouver, and Montreal. Well, that turned out not to be true. What it was was little signs that were on the wall saying, hey, if you're sick, call someone. There were no preventative measures. That same day, a doctor asked Teresa Tam about stopping flights and about then people from China who came here on flights, should they be self-quarantining for 14 days? Here's her quote. There's no evidence that we should be quarantining them. Huh. And then went on to say, and by doing this, we're running the risk of, risk of stigmatizing them. Again, virtue signaling when that's not part of the medical issue here. If someone comes with a disease, I don't care what color they are. I don't care what race they are. That's not the issue here. Then she was asked about people who are asymptomatic, transmitting the disease. We do know that even people with mild symptoms don't transmit very readily. Could they? It's possible. But that's not what drives an actual epidemic was the answer. We do know. Not we think. We know. We do know that asymptomatic people are not key drivers of epidemics. She was asked later and said that it's going to be rare, but we are expecting some cases. We go on. Dr. Howard Nju, the deputy chief public health officer with the public health agency of Canada. 
says it's not about closing the borders from a public health perspective. Closing borders has never proven to be effective in terms of stopping the spread or introduction of disease into any country. Remember, we're following the science. Well, we followed the science and five days later or something, we closed all the borders because apparently it is effective in shutting down disease. Uh, back to Minister of Health, Patty Haydu. Canadians think we can stop this at the border, but what we see is a global pandemic, which means the border measures are highly ineffective and in some cases can create harm. We see that in countries that had the worst expressions, the tightest borders. All right, so why did we then close the borders later? Well, and then we get back to the masks thing, where today we see that Dr. Tam, who has been telling us not to wear masks, even homemade masks, I understand. I think we all understand the idea that we don't want to take the medical masks that frontline workers need. That is very clear. But the idea was very clearly here that you potentially could be harming yourself if you wear even a homemade mask is a bad thing. Well, here's what she says now. Wearing a non-medical mask, even if you have no symptoms, is an additional measure you can take to protect others around you in situations where physical distancing is difficult to maintain, such as in public transit or maybe in the grocery store. A non-medical mask can reduce the chance of your respiratory droplets coming into contact with others or land on surfaces. She's not saying it's guaranteed to stop it, but she's saying it could be helpful. Look, what do we believe now? This is my question. This is, this is the problem I have with this latest flip-flop. What, what are we supposed to believe when a number of people, so many people who are in positions of knowledge, of authority, of power, have given us information very confidently, very assuredly that this was the correct information, only to find out that shortly after that it was completely wrong information. What, who are we supposed to listen to at this point? I mean, again, our, our health minister, our minister of health, you're going to believe, I mean, is she the one who you are going to be listening to now that, that, you know what, we're, we have low risk of it ever coming to Canada. No. Uh, are you going to listen to the prime minister who says that the airports were shut down basically, that it was all taken care of. We were going to be able to deal with it. No, no, not, not so much there. Do you want to listen to a doctor who says that, says that we know that asymptomatic people don't pass on the disease? No, because now we're all in self-quarantine because asymptomatic, we know apparently now that you could pass it along before you show any symptoms. Look, this isn't about bashing any person. It's about a sense of, I have basically at this point, zero confidence in anything that anyone is going to tell me about this short of stay in your house until... They tell you to come out of your house because nothing pretty much, there's some things, but so many things they've told us are not accurate as it turns out. But it's not even so much that it's inaccurate information because some things, if they had said, well, we don't really know, but we think this is probably, no, no, we've been told, we know this is the case. Do not do this. And then it turns out to be, that is not helpful. I'm sorry. It's not helpful. And day after day after day, we have these press conferences and we're told information that people are relying on and following wholeheartedly buying into. And it's not a lot of the time, apparently good information. And the idea, the most infuriating part of this to me is the idea that somehow at the very beginning of this, that we could have stopped flights from the hotspot 
and potentially really done a good thing to stop not Chinese people. It's not about Chinese people. It's flights from China. There's lots of people who are not Chinese who fly to and from China, just to be clear. This is not only Chinese people coming and going. But the fact that we could have potentially stopped flights from there as a protective measure, but we don't do it because we don't want to run the risk that someone could be stigmatized. We would rather have an outbreak here rather than have someone not feel good about themselves or that there could be a couple issues of racism. Look, no one wants that. But on balance, really? We're worried about the stigma? Mm. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. If you are working from home these days, and many of you are, or if you are talking to family from home or friends from home, because we are all now in our house an awful lot more, there is a, if not a likelihood, certainly a very good chance that you have used some kind of video chat, video conferencing service. Uh, Probably the most common one for people is FaceTime if it's on their phone, but there's lots of other ones. And one of them that has been just everywhere the last couple of weeks that a lot of people had never even heard of before, but now everyone knows of it, it's called Zoom. Uh, And Zoom allows multiple users to go on and do a chat all at the same time. A lot of companies are doing it, offices for their meetings, whatever else. Uh, Usage up 535% in the last few weeks of Zoom. However, there's always a however, isn't there? However, the Guardian newspaper has come out with a piece saying, um, by the way, just so you know, Zoom is malware. That's not a good thing, by the way. Malware is not a good thing. Uh, The Washington Post did its own little search and found some loopholes. Let me read you a couple lines from what the Washington Post story said. Thousands of personal Zoom videos have been left viewable on the open web, highlighting the privacy risks to millions of Americans. On and on. Videos viewed by the Washington Post included one-on-one therapy sessions, a training orientation for workers doing telehealth calls that included people's names and phone numbers, small business meetings that included private company financial statements, elementary school classes in which children's faces, voices, and personal details were exposed. Many of the uh, videos included personally identifiable information and deeply intimate conversations recorded in people's homes. Other videos included nudity, such as one in in which an esthetician teaches students how to give a Brazilian wax. Um, Let me bring in our good friend, Alan Mendelson. He is an internet lawyer. We bring him on whenever we can, whenever we have situations like this. Alan, how are you? Scott, I'm doing well under the circumstances. I hope you and your family and all your listeners can say the same. Thank you. Uh, yes, uh, so far I'm touching veneer because I have no wood nearby, but yes, that is uh, that is true. Uh, you know, I read these stories. I've been on Zoom in the last few days. I never knew about it before. And it, I mean, Zoom is one of many that I'm sure people are using. The thing about this, it seems as though we just, the average person just really trusts whatever we see on our computer screen, doesn't it? Like it, it's our default position to say, oh, it must be good. Uh, yeah, I, w- I would say so. Um, I'm not sure that that position is not changing um, as time has gone on, considering the heightened considerations about security and privacy, cybersecurity and privacy, and all the incidents that have happened over the years. I I think the average person out there is becoming more sensitive to these issues. But the you know, those are in normal times. And the problem is we're, we're not in normal times. And everyone has much more important considerations than what data is being collected on us when we're using Zoom right now. So, you know, I, I think privacy 
uh, concerns sort of get pushed back in times like this, uh, you know, which may be a problem or not. It depends on your perspective. Well, and, and, you know, again, the numbers of people who are using Zoom, I mean, what seems to strike me about this is we, yeah, maybe the times um, overwhelm our common sense because it's a new thing and it's an exciting thing and somebody says, try Zoom. And so we try it. And again, I don't want to be picking on Zoom. I'm sure a lot of the other ones are having some of the same issues, but it seems that we're, for whatever reason, you're right now willing to put aside maybe our skepticism a little bit because this is a really cool thing. Right. No, exactly. You know, and, you know, in Zoom's defense, when a lot of these concerns were raised last week um, on Friday, the company did respond pretty quickly. There was quite a detailed response from the head of Zoom with regard to, you know, certain security and privacy concerns, and they changed certain of their practices. Um, you know, I, I I don't think even Zoom expected what would happen mm. to them under these circumstances. You know, and there are certainly any other number of video chat services out there, several of whom, several of which are operated by very large players in the business, particularly Microsoft and Google, um, that people may use on a regular basis and not even know the privacy concerns of those. It's just because Zoom has sort of entered into the public consciousness in the last couple of weeks that their practices has really, you know, have been under focus. Right. And nobody, by the way, just to be clear, that I've heard anyway, Alan, no one has suggested that Zoom is stealing this information or keeping it. They, They are providing the service and other people have figured out how to get into it. Correct. Exactly. You know, it's, and again, in Zoom's defense, and I have no connection to Zoom, although I use it certainly regularly, but I was a user of Zoom long before this ever occurred. Um, you know, they, the issue was security and, you know, people getting into your Zoom meetings without being authorized to do so. Um, and certain other issues where third parties were sort of accessing Zoom information not necessarily information, but, you know, videos and certain other things that were not necessarily meant for public consumption. So, um, but again, uh, last week, you know, Zoom recognized that and, and acted accordingly, I think. Yeah, you know that maybe you've got a little problem when there's a new word that pops up about what happens, like Zoom bombing, and which is a cool word. And now, now, I mean, again, it's like calling something a Zamboni. Not every ice maker is a Zamboni, but once it's got that name attached, now every video service is like a Zoom. And Alan, would I be, I don't know what the word is, a fear monger or paranoid or anything else to suggest that as hard as you and other people who are working from their homes are working these days to keep things going, there are people with not so good intentions who look at this as a perfect time to start making some hay online, hackers, etc.? Well, a little paranoia is always good, Scott, as I like to say, you know, in the cybersecurity business, a lot of paranoia is good. Um, but no, you are absolutely correct that there is no question the volume of Internet traffic has increased dramatically. There were numerous companies who were not prepared for this eventuality, or at least not sufficiently prepared for this event eventuality. And as a result, have been forced to sort of scramble to have people teleworking for the first time and putting protocols in place that may not necessarily be sufficient. And the nefarious people out there with bad intentions um, could certainly be taking advantage of it. Uh, haven't heard, you know, any sort of detailed studies to that point yet, but I figure it's only a matter of time. 
Well, uh, the, the funny part about this, and I don't say funny ha-ha, I mean funny as in not good, that we are probably vulnerable, a lot of us, because our thought is, well, I'm not doing anything that important, so why is anybody going to hack me? They're going to go look after people doing important stuff. Well, yeah, but, you know, the, the issue becomes is, it, there's always one security flaw that can lead to much bigger consequences. So, you know, if you're not taking proper precautions, you just, you know, you think you're just some low-level employee, um, and you're not taking the proper precautions. The nefarious individuals trying to get access to larger systems could do it through you, in theory. So, there's not. That's the problem: is that people are sort of not taking they may consider that what they're doing is not so important but they may be sort of opening larger security vulnerabilities um, at their end which could be exploited by bad people again i really i i don't love being paranoid but is the proper reaction or the proper attitude to be taking then to simply assume that whatever you do online is visible whether it's work or otherwise just assume that someone can see it and act accordingly well, you know, I think that depends on your practices. That is a proper assumption. I think for the most part, you know, the average individual, as long as they're not doing anything stupid, uh, you know, sending your bank password over email is something stupid. <laughs> but, enter, you know, entering your bank password into your secure Royal Bank or CIBC, you know, uh, website is is secure. That's a relatively secure thing to do. Again, presuming that you haven't done something stupid at your house, like having a Wi-Fi network without a password, without a good password. So you know, there are everyone should always. I bet there's a lot of people right now who just went, "Wait, do I have a password?" <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's uh, there's no question or. There, you know, you know the the old example we used to use doesn't apply now, but we always used to say, you know, never enter your bank password when you're sitting in Starbucks. But you know, you sitting in Starbucks is equivalent to you sitting at your own uh, in your own home with your Bell network or whatever other ISP network, but your um, Wi-Fi is not secured with a proper password. And that's equivalent to sitting in a Starbucks. And because you're doing so much more of it online now, considering your home or should be home 24 hours a day uh, for the most part, well, then there's mu- that much more information out there that could be the target of vulnerability. Well, and there is going to be a lot more information because uh, anything you do with the government, and I don't know how secure, I'm assuming the government sites are very secure, but you're going to have to enter all kinds of stuff if you suddenly are one of the two and a half million Canadians who's claiming unemployment insurance, or doctors are now doing stuff online. That There's one where, you know, I would be a little more concerned if you had a video chat with a doctor or something lined up, but uh, there's all kinds of opportunities of stuff that normally we might have said, I'll do that in person, or I'll do that in a certain way that now we can't. And so I sort of shrug my shoulders and go, I don't know. Like, are, how secure are the government websites? Well, I'm no, I'm no security, uh, government security consultant or government cybersecurity expert. Um, but I mean, the fact is, as is traditional in any giant bureaucracy, sometimes these proper security uh, is a little bit slow to evolve compared to you know smaller companies that can be more nimble and so forth. Um, I expect, however, well, like, I mean, uh, 
for the most part, individuals are entering information on those government websites that they have probably entered online before, um, or they have, or their accountant has put in some computer somewhere, or their employer has submitted to some payroll, you know, a company somewhere on the internet. And so, you know, we, we can only presume the best, um, I, you know, and I think the government would not be operating a website that is, 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 is a real security risk. Yeah. I'm gonna, I don't, I don't, I don't think people should really worry about that particular point. Of all the ones that they have to be worried about, I'm going to take some, uh, some hope that that's the, one of the ones they don't have to worry about and they can then go and, uh, concern themselves with locking down the other ones that, uh, that maybe they're not so sure about. Uh, Alan Mendelson, we always love having you on. It's been a while, but we will uh, definitely be back in touch soon. Thanks for doing this. My pleasure, Scott, as always. Take care of yourself and uh, all your listeners as well. Uh, Yeah, just if you're online, just be smart. Don't be paranoid, but be smart. Because you're doing a lot of stuff from home these days that you might not have otherwise done and you're doing a lot of stuff on your computer. Be smart. And do not click any email asking for your bank number. I, I, I sound so patronizing when I say that, but I talked to someone not long ago who said, oops, I did that. Yeah, we all can make mistakes. Don't just be, be smart. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. So I've been thinking about this the last few days. I've really kind of enjoyed the being at home part and the working from home, the rolling out of bed and grabbing a coffee and I'm still just throw on the fat pants and roll into the home office. I, I, I'm trying to decide now if that makes me an anti-social loner and if uh, given enough time, I would just turn into Ted Kaczynski and live in a hut in the woods somewhere. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I kind of like this. Well, it's it's. Um, it, but your life is so much different than anybody else's, other than you know you know where you have to be between six and eight every uh, day between Monday and Friday. But you know you're a you're a column, columnist. Pardon me. And you have different deadlines and different projects and everything else. It's not exact. I'm not trying to certainly diminish what you do you're incredible at what you do but you know you're not an eight to four o'clock guy you're at games at night you're on the weekends you know so your life is different anyway yeah but i don't know i i've i've talked to a number of people who have suddenly said you know the idea of a home office is not the worst thing in the world for them i and, and the funny part about that is don i would bet you that there's at least as many people for everyone who says that who says oh the idea of working just at home all the time would kill me probably well, you're I one can, in that group yeah i well for sure i can't work at home because i can't you know i can't pick up a house and take it to you and your wife and show it to you or an industrial building uh you know, it's hard to move those things around in my pickup, but um, it, it, it's funny. Susan's been home now. This is week maybe four, three for sure, and mentioned today, you know, I think I could do this maybe three days a week, but would really desire the interaction of, of other coworkers, and, you know, I want to talk to you about this and that, and, and, you know, she works on different projects for the pharmaceutical firm, and, and so she needs some personal interaction, so... I think what we're going to see is a hybrid of a lot of it. And I, you know, I've been asked several times and don't have the answers on what's going to happen with real estate. I think it's going to be fine. It's going to be a lot of pent up desire for people to make that move, but there's going to be some people who don't have a job to go back to. So that dynamic will change it a little bit, but big companies that all have their, have their people working from home now, 
they might look at the 20,000 square feet of office space and say, you know what, let people work from home. We only need 12,000 square feet. So there might be a change in the mindset as to how to get your best value out of people. Yeah, well, and look, if, if someone says, if I'm a boss right now uh, and one of my employees says, you know, I'm finding that I work way better in this circumstance, and if there's evidence to back that up, when this whole thing ends, I'm turning around to them and saying, you know what, keep going if you want, no problem. As long as, as long as you can show that you have produced in this time, and, and if you have, then why would you force them to come back if they feel like they're doing better and more comfortable? I would guess that, that uh, there is a cer- certain segment of our uh, employed people that will be far more productive, even if they only work six hours at home and you need eight out of them. You might get more out of the six than the eight because there's how much time is, well, of course, now there wouldn't be any time talking about sports at the water cooler or oh, yeah. what are you doing on the long weekend and the social atmosphere of it, which is, you know, you got to balance that. But there are some people that in every work environment that it seems to be their major job is to go from employee to employee to make sure they're not doing anything either. <laughs> well, I, I like to think that I don't do that exactly, but there are parts of it where I, I, I have been thinking to myself, I get a lot more done because I'm not being distracted and I'm not distracting anyone else. And as well, I find that I, I'm just flying through the stuff I have to get done. Well, in your business, I mean, I, I'm sure, and um, the different people that are around, and you get chatting about a story, and what do you think about this? And it, you know, you're you're looking to build something and, and build a masterpiece every time you do something, and somebody else's input or thought might trigger you and go, "Gee, that's interesting. I never thought of that." You know, I I, I mean, I can't even write a full sentence and spell it correctly, so I certainly couldn't do what you do, but I could appreciate the fact that input from other thought processes might put a different take on the story or the appearance of it. Well, you, you, you wouldn't have that. You wouldn't have that. Let, let me, let me sort of uh, segue into this because we're talking about people being at work or not at work. Uh, ESPN has a report today online, of course, uh, that the NHL is deep in contemplation with all kinds of stakeholders from around the league about the idea they're desperately trying to figure out how to have a Stanley Cup playoffs this year, and I, and that, that there's no doubt about why. I, I, I Don, I don't think we're um, being uh, anything other than honest when we say it's you know I'm sure they love performing for the people, but I'm sure they also like the bottom line, and losing the Stanley Cup playoff revenue is not good for that bottom line. So they want to jam in a Stanley Cup playoffs. Well, I you, you know my always go to position pro sports. If you can't figure out what it is, it's the money. And the lost revenue from Sportsnet and NBC and everybody else, let alone the stadium revenue. What I'm hopeful is, Scott, <clears throat> that they don't try and build some cosmic solution to this thing and try and run a tournament or let's just do it for TV. And, you know, like if they're going to do something, do it real. Don't make it uh you know, three on three or something silly. And they won't do that. But, you know, unless it's going to have some legitimacy, they should really just leave it alone. Well, let me tell you what their idea is, according to ESPN, since you've pretty much now 
taken the legs out from every idea they've had. <laughs> Here's what they said. The opportunity would be there for the NHL to gr- get creative in a smaller arena venue, light it differently, present the on-ice action in a more dynamic way, and explore other made-for-TV innovations. That would be the, the thoughts that, according to ESPN are coming out with right now. So you may see something, I don't think three on three, although I don't know if that means a more dynamic way, uh, but you would see something that might be vastly different from what you're used to if, if, if ESPN is correct. Uh, what about that idea? Well, I think it's silly. I, I, you know, I mean, why would you, if, if you want to have a real Allen Cup, I mean, or Stanley Cup, um, if you want to have a real Stanley Cup, I mean, the first ones that were played, they had six skaters and one sub. The Rover. Right? So that was legitimate in, in those days. It's not legitimate now. And if you try and cheat the fans with something that is not the most difficult professional championship, in my opinion, to win, you have to win 16 playoff games. You've got to travel all across North America to win the tournament. It has real legitimacy. And dark horses come from nowhere. The Vegas Golden Knights in their inaugural year go to the Stanley Cup Finals. The Carolina Hurricanes beat the Edmonton Oilers. None of the bookmakers had that nailed down. Right? So and so that's always the surprise of the Stanley Cup. The surprise shouldn't be watching a four-on-four or start with five guys on the ice and drop them down to four and drop them down to three until you get a winner. I think that they'll just bastardize the game and, and, and um, they'll bastardize the game, but they'll also, the other thing they'll do, they'll take the credibility and the legitimacy of, of the Stanley Cup away. I mean, they've been playing for that. That thing's been played for since 1891. Yeah. Better to, better to do it re- real than to just yeah. do it for the fun of it and have a, a winner that gets a giant asterisk because you say you were the uh, the gimmick Stanley Cup winner. Here, you here's know what? Sorry, cut go your ahead. losses. Cut your losses and 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 just move on like so many people are going to have to do. I mean, just it's over. Forget that it happened because you know the World Cup of Hockey. They do that. Remember they brought the young stars in. I mean, yep. that was a pretty cool thing. But you know. That's, if that's the kind of thing they're talking about doing, don't do it. Leave the game the way it is. Well, you could have, you know, I suppose, Don, you could have a tournament if you could figure out a way. And here, here's some of the other things they're saying, by the way, that you could have it at neutral site games, kind of like a regionals in March Madness with a bracket and that kind of thing. Um, look, I'm, I, I'm okay if they want to come back and do something, but I tend to be with you. Don't drag the Stanley Cup into this thing. Don't have a, at the end of this, don't have a Stanley Cup presentation to somebody who won three best two out of three series at neutral sites and they played two games in a day because they were two 10-minute periods or something. Like, that would that, that would be stupid. So you, you've got that really, really, really ugly World Cup of hockey that is out there that looks like a, I don't even know what it looks like, like a rope that's been twisted around or something. Like, it's a horrible, use that one. Put that up for grabs. Don't make it the World Cup anymore and say, here, play for this and we'll give each person an extra... Half million bucks. There you go. Knock yourself out. But yeah, don't drag the Stanley Cup into something stupid. In my mind. Well, I, I mean, you're, I, remember Showdown? Loved Showdown, but no one said they got the Stanley Cup at the end of that. Right. So leave Showdown where it should be parked in the seven eighties. I think it was. 
Oh, 70s. You know, just, yeah, 70s. Well, Mike then, Palmatier was in that, and uh, yeah, though that was 70s for sure. But uh, okay. remember Harold well, Ballard? Harold Ballard wouldn't let the Leafs wear their Leaf uniform, so they, they were the only team that didn't have a crest on the front of their shirts for showdown. Um, I, I, I love Ballard. I'm going to tell you a quick story if you remember. Yeah, go. When, when, when they brought in, remember when everybody had to wear their names in the back of the jerseys and Harold flipped out and said, we're not doing it because that's why I sell programs. So really... Like the fans didn't know that Normie Ullman was wearing ninety nine and and uh, Frank Hobbies was wearing twenty seven, so the league mandated he put the names on the back of the shirts. So on his white jerseys, you put the letters in white, <laughs> and the blue jerseys, you put them in blue so he could adhere to the league. Yeah, well, hey, you, I mean, you mentioned Showdown. I don't know how many people remember Showdown. Uh, it was it was in the first intermission of the games, and it was a skills competition. There was, I think, it was usually one goalie and two players each game that were facing off, and they had like a obstacle course and breakaway relay and a, a target shooting. I'd rather they go and do that with a hundred guys from the league who want to be part of it and do something. If you're going to go way out of the box and you're going to go way into crazy land. Then go way into crazy land. Don't go into crazy land and try and make it still be something that people will believe is the Stanley Cup Finals. That that well, that that's there's a way to do it, and you can still have fun with it and bring in revenue without trying to water down the product. But 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 recognize the fact that it's fun. It's not the real Stanley Cup. And one of the problems we're going to have is that you can't. I think it's you'll know this because you pay attention. I think you can't even have a professional sporting event uh, in Calgary until the end of July. I think it might be the end of June, but it could be July. I thought it was the end of June. It might have been the first of July. Yeah, that sounds correct, which is going to affect the Stampeders, and the Flames clearly will not be playing anything in Calgary. And you know what? People are dying for the love of God. Who cares about hockey? Well, I mean, look. I I do a little bit, but in the big picture... Holy crap. It would be a great diversion. Any kind of live sports or any kind of event right now would be a great diversion if you could come up with it. And and I think that the NHL, like so many other leagues, look, the UFC is having an event, I think it's this weekend. These people who run sports leagues right now, when you flip to the sports channels and see what's on there, all that channel after channel after channel with nothing good on, they're looking going, if we could get something on the air, we are going to dominate the ratings and we're going to make it boatload of money here. So I, I can understand why they're trying to do it. Um, here, here's the other thing. We've got to take a break in a second. Here's the other thing. Let's say you were able to figure something out and you were able to run some kind of playoff or we'll even call it the Stanley Cup playoffs starting the 1st of July through the summer. First of all, are you really, knowing the intensity of the playoffs, are you really going to ask the players to go back on the ice with no real training camp, no real warm-up games, no nothing. I, I, I suppose you could. But the other side is, let's say you're the team that wins the Stanley Cup that year, or whatever you're going to call it. Do you not have a massive disadvantage then when the season starts two weeks later and you've just gone through that grind and there's no time off to recover and now the teams that have been out are rested and could have practiced? I so when the real Stanley Cup happens again, the team that might be pretty good suddenly is at a massive disadvantage to win it. Okay, so here, here's some of the follow-up. I know we must have taken That's okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, but one of the disadvantages is going to be, first of all, the players don't get paid during the playoffs. So there's going to have to be some kind of compensation sorted out and something sorted out with the NHLPA. 
The other thing is, if you do that, and then you push back the start, because inevitably you'll have to. I mean, you can't finish the Stanley Cup finals, give them two weeks off. Some of them won't even have sobered up yet, and say, by the way, you're going back to training camp. And so if, if you do do something in July or August, and everybody can actually be sprung out of their houses, the last thing they're going to want to do is watch hockey in July and August. They're going to be out golfing and watching the Blue Jays and do other things. But if they do that, and then they have to push the start of the National Hockey League back to the 1st of November, now you're finishing the Stanley Cup Finals in July, a second year in a row. And I'm not sure how much sense that makes. Or you're going to have to shorten the season. I'm telling you, the best thing to do for them, cut your losses, go home, do the best you can, and put your big boy pants on because it's over. Because we're in a world pandemic. So figure it out. I will uh, make sure in the commercial break here that we get Gary Bettman to give you a shout because some common sense uh, obviously is would be helpful because I think you got this right. Are you at home or are you in the studio? No, no, I'm in the studio. I am. Uh, I, I am in the I studio. Guess you can be there because nobody else is there except Will, right? Uh, I'll wipe, yeah, wiping my hands down with uh, Rose, the cleaning lady's uh, super octane hand gel that she refilled my Purell bottle with. This stuff. Don, this stuff, if you rub your hands and put it near your nose, you don't need smelling salts ever. This, I don't know what it is, but uh, this, you could run heavy farm equipment on this stuff. Just put it into the gas. I'm absolutely convinced that I never thought I would ever have more alcohol in my hands and in my stomach, but <laughs> the world has certainly changed. This stuff, I swear, if I were to lick this, you would hear me slurring and uh, <laughs> uh, that's all it would take. This stuff is about 170 proof right now. Anyway, it's, it's, hopefully it's keeping us safe. Uh, I want to ask you about this. The, the OHL had its draft on the weekend. Some people are really interested in that. Some people are not interested in that at all. We're not in that at all. We're not going to go through who was drafted or who wasn't. But there was a very interesting thing. I wrote about it for tomorrow. It's online right now. I thought it was a really interesting thing that came up in this draft. The OHL they draft three hundred kids. There's twenty teams. Each team gets fifteen picks. Three hundred kids get chosen. Don five years ago. Out of those 300, 59 kids were five foot nine or shorter. So by hockey terms of days gone by, tiny kids, this year, 107 of the 300, more than a third were five foot nine or smaller. One was five foot three. This obviously is talking about how much hockey has changed because it clearly has. Um, Why has it changed so much? Well, it talks about two things. First of all, it talks about how much time you have on your hands. Well, no, that, know that. No, Just because know it, that fact. it, it yeah. jumped out right away because the first three players taken, first, second, and third overall were 5'7", five, 5'8", seven, five, and 5'7", and I started to, that immediately made me start looking and going, huh, that's, that's never happened before, and surely enough, it hasn't. And then I started keeping track of how many kids, and the numbers just started to pile up. Okay, there's two, there's two things with the OHL draft. First of all, it's absolutely insane, in my opinion, and nobody's asking, but I'm offering it, to draft 300 kids. Because if you look at, you know, what, you should, what I think they, they should look at is how many on average do they lose a year? And perhaps what they should do is double stock that. So if the league loses 75 players a year, right, they should probably draft 150. Because a lot of those kids have wonderful dreams and everything else that there's not much chance that they're likely going to be realized. They'll end up playing junior B or tier two, junior A. 
and everything else. So it's, uh, I, I think, first of all, they, they draft too many kids, as do the National Hockey League. But to your point, I think what that indicates is that now from the 70s and early 80s, and if you weren't six foot three and racking up 100 minutes and penalties a year, you couldn't get drafted. So the, the swing has gone full cycle, and the game is absolutely 100% pure skill and speed now. Because defensemen can now play in the league. Look at Ryan Ellis. He's not a big guy. You and I have been to his golf tournament. You know, he's not a big man, and he's a very effective defenseman. So the whole thing now is just gone the way it's going to be in the future. There's going to be no fighting unless it's incidental, and it's going to be about skill and speed, and that's very entertaining. So when it's happening at the OHL level, you know it's just going to carry on and happen at the National Hockey League level. And see, it has happened at the NHL level. It's almost like it's gone backwards. The the I mean, you've got now the Johnny Goudreau's, and you've got the, I mean, Theo Fleury once upon a time, and Martin Saint-Louis was an MVP, a Hart Trophy winner at one time. There have been guys who have come along who have succeeded at that height, but it was, it was unusual. It was very yeah, unusual. Were, but they were anomalies. Yes, right? it was very unusual. I mean, they weren't the norm. I, I'm going to tell you about two Dundas Real McCoys right now that today would have starred in National Hockey League. Mark Juris, who's our all-time leading scorer, and Darren Hadar, who played in the National Hockey League, but he didn't have a career. As he's been re- he's, uh, went into the American Hockey League Hall of Fame, which is absolutely wonderful, but he's not a big guy. Today, he would, he would be a high draft pick or a high signing in the National Hockey League. For those guys, you feel bad, and then you look at Clark Gillies, who's in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Clark Gillies isn't getting in the Hockey Hall of Fame if he starts his career in 2000. Well, he didn't play in the National Hockey League if he starts in 2020. Well, Clark Gillies is not an NHL player if he's not whatever he was, six foot two or six foot three. If Clark Gillies was five foot seven, he doesn't play. No, no. And, and there's a bunch of other guys like that. There's a bunch of other guys like that. But here's I'm here's an here's an interesting question because because I'm doing it for my deck. I guess people think they can text me. So my neighbor asked me. What's going to happen with the NHL draft? That's a big production for them. Well, they'll, they'll would, you know what? It would be interesting. You know, we talked earlier if they're going to play the Stanley Cup. If they decide to do that, they'll be having the NHL draft before the Stanley Cup. They'll or do they'll do take they have their the NHL draft in August. No, I think what they're going to do is they the N, the NFL draft is coming up in the next couple of weeks, and they're going to take their cue from how things go with the NFL draft because it's actually going. To, it's not taking its cue. I don't want to make it sound like they're mocking. They're they're uh, imitating it. But the OHL draft this weekend that we started talking about was entirely online. The GMs and everyone was were, were in their living rooms making the the picks, and that's what the NFL is going to be doing. You're going to be at your home. The GMs are going to be at their homes making these selections. It's going to be uh, like something we've not seen before, but it can still go ahead because. You're all connected now. But the OHL have been doing an online draft for a few years now. The only difference being that, yes, it's been an online draft for quite a while now. The difference was you always had your team of scouts and general manager all together in your office or your dressing room or whatever all hooked up. This time, they were all separate in their rooms. And that's what you're going to see from the NFL ones now, is you're going to see these guys all connected to their scouts and everyone else. But the GM is probably going to be making the pick from his living room. Yeah, Why not? It, it won't. Yeah, but it won't be. But see, it's a money grab. Back to the money. You, you know, me and money. 
but it's a money draft. I mean, that NFL draft is, I mean, they'd, they'd stretch that thing out for two weeks if they thought they could get away with it. Well, we saw that with WrestleMania on the weekend. There were no fans for WrestleMania. They had guys wrestling, fake wrestling. But of, but of, but of all um, entertainment productions, as I carefully choose my words, of all entertainment productions, the WWF, WWE, can pull that off better than anybody else because the whole thing is a performance. Sort of, sort of, but because it's a performance and uh, and I don't want to be like telling someone that Santa doesn't exist here, but because not every punch is actually a haymaker to the jaw, you got to, you got to make sure the camera angles are right. And the, and the sales job that you're doing as an actor and performer and sports entertainment athlete are pretty good or else now without the crowd as a distraction and the signs and the noise and everything else. And you can hear everything. And so if you but, don't but hear actually, the punch. They could actually do a better job now, Scott. Because they could have done that thing four hours before they put oh, it yeah. on TV oh, yeah. and got the proper angles, and you wouldn't have missed it. Are you were you around in Brantford? Because when we won a, uh, an Allen Cup in 1987 in the 80s, they used to do uh, WWF filming, and Hulk Hogan was at the they did. Civic Center and and sold it out. And he'd go out and wrestle three times, and God bless Johnny Canine, he'd go out and lose three <laughs> times. And, and uh, I forget the Ted. Uh, Ted uh, DiBiase? The from, no, the one guy from downtown Hamilton. He would go up and wrestle, and they'd lug him out on a stretcher three times in a row, and they'd film it all. And it was, you know, as, as, as everybody knew, these guys, when they went out dead and come back 25 minutes later to get beat up again, <laughs> but it was unbelievable entertainment. We had because of the manager of the Civic Center, great seats and went a couple times to watch the filming. It was absolutely stunning entertainment. So these guys can pull it off. That was one of the two times in my life that I was nearly beaten up by somebody for asking a question. Um, the, 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 The second time, I'll come back to this one a second, the second time was when Hoist Gracie, who was the first real superstar of UFC, he was the guy who won the first two or three UFCs, uh, came to Joslin's to give a seminar a few years ago. And uh, uh, Jeff Joslin had told me and invited me to come and interview him. And I thought, hey, you know what? Hoist Gracie was not all that big a guy. He was beating men way, way, way bigger than him. And so I thought it would be a really fun idea to bring a pair of shorts and a t-shirt and (laughs) roll with them. And so anyway, as I'm interviewing him, I said, Hey, Hoyce, uh, and he's a Brazilian guy and he, he's a, he's much bigger than I thought. He was about six foot two. I thought he was little. Anyway, I said, Hoyce, um, if I was to throw on say a pair of shorts and a t-shirt, how many times do you think you could tap me out in a minute? And, uh, he looked at me and Jeff Joslin was behind him looking at me and he looked at me and he said, zero with this Portuguese accent. And I said, what do you mean zero? And he goes, I would not let you tap. I would torture you. And I was like, oh. And, and he says, in Brazil. I'm you wouldn't get up from the first one. Well, no. And he over. says, in Brazil, it is it is uh, a challenge. Like, it's, it's rude to challenge a person of a higher belt than you to roll. And so it was a real insult that I had asked him this. And I'm looking over his shoulder at Jeff Joslin, who's now looking at me like, don't look at me. And... <laughs> I, I pressed it a little further and now Jeff is giving me the hand across the throat, like cut, cut, don't do it. <laughs> don't. Um, but the other one was, uh, at Brantford at the civic center, there was a wrestler who I can't remember now 
one of the WWE guys who was enormous. He was one of those guys who I would bet you all the money I had 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 a few injections into his rump at some point. He was, and I stood there and asked him in an interview behind um, whether he'd ever taken steroids. And for a brief moment, I thought he was going to separate my head from my body. He, he, if he didn't take steroids, um, well, the roid rage was going to be natural then because it was, it was not a good moment. That, that, that may have been a rhetorical question from a cub reporter back in the 80s. Well, he was at least four times my width. I mean, his shoulders were as, <laughs> it was, he was as wide as a smart car. And, and, and like bulging muscles and veins sticking out everywhere. And I thought it was a legitimate question and it was, but he didn't like the question. Um, anyway, no, I, I, um, the, all these leagues like the NFL with their draft and the NHL, when it has its draft, just to try and pull it back to some sort of, uh, topic that we are on. I, this is just an opportunity to do something different, do it unique and have people watch. Cause I guarantee you the NFL draft this year is going to have massive numbers just because it's not a replay of an old game or darts or poker or billiards. And that's because that's all there is right yes. now. Yes, and that's what all the leagues want. How do we get in and get a part of that desperation for sports? I watched marble right. racing the other night, Don. That's how desperate trying, we are. Trying to sort out how to segue into this because the timing, I wanted to make sure the timing was somewhat close. But... If we ever could have talked Hockey Canada, or if it had been appropriate to talk to Hockey Canada about playing the Allen Cup tournament, which would have started today, I'd have been standing on the bench, not chatting with you. Although if we're going to do it remotely, I guess we could have, although you might not like some of the colorful language that you heard. Well, we've got a sensor button. Just don't, have, just don't try it, because I don't know that Will knows how to use it. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I if you'd heard if you'd heard an F coming, it probably wouldn't have been friends. <laughs> anyways, anyways, I'd be standing on the bench right now with Ron Bernacki, and we would be waiting for the puck drop after the induction of the Sports Hall of Fame people, including Mackenzie Hughes, and we'd have been playing the New Brunswick entry at JL Greitmeyer, and the puck drop would have been in the next two or three minutes. So if we could have played that tournament, I guarantee you, if that could have been an anomaly of a cosmetic event, then I guarantee you TSN would have covered all the 100%. Games. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And the building would have been, we could have charged 50 bucks a ticket because we'd be the only event in town. And so, so here I am sitting on my deck having a cigar. Well... You know what you should do like the NBA players are doing right now and like the race car drivers are doing? Do an online version of the game and then try and get someone to cover it and just make it a Allen Cup. I did I did that and the Dundas Real McCoys beat the Hamilton Steel. So it all worked <laughs> Let out us well. Appreciate having Don Robertson along today when he could have been coaching in the Allen Cup. It's kind of sad that that's the anniversary today, Don, but uh, hey, thanks for spending some time anyway with us instead. This is like winning the Allen Cup, isn't it? In some people's mind, it might be more important, Scott. <laughs> well, I um, uh, listen, I'm just happy to have you along and uh, happy that you can sit out in your back porch finally and that the weather is finally getting nice enough that we can maybe all sit on a porch and be a little less stir-crazy. But hey, well, thank the amazing, you. The amazing thing is we seem to be able to pull it off for an hour every Monday still. 
There's still stuff. I don't know how, but uh, we will see. As I said a few at the beginning of this hour, there may come a day when we're talking about the highlights of pigeon racing, but we're not there yet. I, I, I do enjoy reading the sports page in The Spectator now. Have a great week, Don. Stay well. We will talk to you on Monday. Thanks for doing this. All right, Scott. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.